as a simple way to start the whole thing, what have you been up to this week? Ha! Uh, well, Monday. Oh, it's been a, it's been a lot. <laughs> oh, it's always oh, been good. What a way to start a podcast. Hello and welcome to My Kind of Weird. I'm Richard Minkley and in this podcast I'm going to be interviewing some of the most fascinating creative types from around Nottingham. To kick us off, I've got three episodes from three very different performers, all of them coming from Missimp, Nottingham's longest-running open improv group. Not to mention, by the way, the UK's longest-running open improv group. Blah, 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 blah. Too many words in that sentence. Today I'm talking to Nick Tyler, writer, performer, and occasional swashbuckler known as Captain Pigheart. Didn't want to give myself too much of a challenge, what with this being the first interview of the podcast, so we decided to talk about everything possible in the universe and much more with his love of sci-fi, writing, and the peculiar work of Dream Diaries. But first, I had to ask about his job at Angry Robot, the international publisher of award-winning science fiction and fantasy that's hidden away in Nottingham city centre. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the admin assistant guy, um, so I write synopses and blurbs for the back of books, I uh, prepare manuscripts for typesetting, uh, I make ebooks, I screw around with graphics, uh, help out in reading stuff, um, you know, we do acquisitions meetings and we say whether the books are any good. Uh, so I read a lot. Um, yeah, it's weird not necessarily having a choice about what you read anymore. Um, there's, there's a lot of readings to be done. You know, we have um, submissions from agents that need to be read. You know, do we want them? Do we not want them? You've got to read them first, otherwise you'll never know. And we've got Open Door at the moment, which is our open submissions where we don't uh, require a book come through an agent. Uh, so that's, that's up to, I don't know, over 600 submissions so far. Uh, we'll have to read those. See, this is one of the things I, I'm really fascinated by, is that in my head, sci-fi, there is a very stereotypical sci-fi and fantasy genre, which is you've got space over here, and you've got Tolkien over there, mm -hmm. and that's basically it. But you are in a very strange position where not only do you enjoy reading these things and you're really into them, but you're forced to read them, regardless of whether you want to. Yeah. So, <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? You're uh, laughing. What is that like, being forced to read books because it sounds amazing um yeah i mean it's possible to bitch about it it's hard to make a compelling case that it's bad uh yeah but that, <laughs> which that, I, that, I feel is exactly what you're about to do well kind of i i, I think that's what everyone says oh yeah i have to read all this stuff it's all that well all the stuff that you really like yeah that's really shit um it's a bit like if you like films being forced to watch films all the time uh you re you can reach capacity um and and it's difficult to take new stuff in and I, I can find it hard to remember what I like and what I don't like if I've just got to read tons of stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, I've read a load of words. Uh-huh. I don't know if they're any good or not anymore. Um, so I'll end up switching to reading something else in between. I read uh, short stories or, or, or even, God forbid, non-fiction. Oh, really? Uh, very rarely. Yeah, I don't really read non-fiction. I don't really care about the real world all that much. I, I'm, I'm just not interested. What is sci-fi to you? Because if anybody should be able to give us a good description of what the depths of that world can sure. contain. Because obviously it contains not only the entire universe, but everything that is and is not possible. Ooh. Which is a bit... I like the intercept theory immediately. Uh, the category of things that fall into one group rather than another. Well, exactly. I'd essentially say 
described more than everything. Yeah, you just yeah you described a superset that contains all other sets, but is not itself a member of any other sets than the set that it's in, uh, which is confusing. Um, which, exactly. So, what what for you as someone who has to sift through this stuff? What what is it that you think sci-fi really is? Well, I I reject both both terms. I don't really like either of them. Um, the, the what I much prefer to think of is speculative fiction, which is what it used to be: Spe speculative fiction and fantastic fiction, which embrace immediately both science fiction and fantasy elements. Uh, there are so many definitions, and there are loads that, that you'll agree with, and loads that you won't, um, depending upon whether you look at one book or another. Uh, the books I like are the ones that bridge both. Um, I'm a big fan of fantasy that's got technological components and that has science in it because otherwise you, you run the risk of just, just being guys on horses punching each other with swords, maybe a dragon, um, in which case you're, you're just doing, I say just, it's, a lot of it's great. Uh, it's very, it's very hard when you start like, bitching about definitions. So oh, all of these things are shit, and, and in fact they're not. Uh, there's loads of historical fiction, medieval science, medieval fantasy, and stuff that's great. Um, but we've 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 had medieval, we've had medieval history. We got some sense of what it's like. Let's give give me the new, give me the new world. Give me the well, give me the imagination. Mm. Instantly, I said, "What do these things mean?" And you said, "No, throw them against Destroy. the wall." You said, mm. "What was it? Speculative and fantastic." S speculative fiction and then fantastical fiction. Speculative fiction. I've heard that before, and it might be to do with Frankenstein. Sure, Frankenstein is often hailed as the first science fiction novel. What does that mean to you? And then? The, to me, to me, it means something that isn't just our world. You see, the, the good thing about science fiction fantasy is it's fiction, so like any other kind of fiction, but with something interesting happening instead of all that other wank where it's just about like eight generations of a family who hate each other living in a fucking caravan in Indonesia. That's not a book that I care about. Um, but that seems to be a huge swathe of popular literature and fiction. And I, I thought, where are the spaceships? Where, where's people becoming something new? Where, where's, where's the evolution of humanity? Where is us meeting... Uh, our doom, where, 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 where are the hopes and where are the fears? This is all, otherwise it's just all people just living their ordinary lives. And that happens all the time. Just look around, there's people living their ordinary lives. Why would you want to read a book about that? I don't. I want to read a book about something interesting. <laughs> Maybe a murder, that's fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, why would you, why would you limit it to, to things that are currently true and real? We already have that stuff. Maybe a murder. A new autobiography by Nick Tyler. <laughs> um, but you, you've been, it's interesting because you go into mm. a lot of the things that this kind of stuff isn't. What kind of things like stand out as something fantastical with technology thrown mm. in there? Uh, the, I think for what I like from space operas and science fiction, I like space opera because space opera is huge. Space opera is. Space opera is soap opera, so, so you, you have human drama, so you, you have, you have you know, human relationships. But again, it's a vast canvas, uh, and it being opera, you have the huge highs and the lows. So you, you have all of the drama and all the emotional peaks and troughs, and then you but you have it set against this just gigantic fuck off word that I've forgotten, like tapestry, canvas, canvas. So like a tapestry, but it doesn't have anything on it until you put something on it, because presumably a tapestry, you don't have a. Do you have a blank tapestry? That'd be shit, wouldn't it? I think you just have like a like a like a ball of wool or a wall. Right. Listeners at home aren't going to be able to see you. This this gesticulation. gesticulation. <laughs> uh, uh, they can probably hear the jingle jangling of, of the many rings that. Thank you, have you for saying grand rather than just spasming in a chair, which is what it feels like. There is genuine, genuinely this enormous scale to some of the things that mm. sci-fi deal with. Do you find yourself going more down sci-fi? Oh, I've always been more science fiction than fantasy. Always. Um, it's got space. It's got cool. So it's got alien. Aliens, 
uh, like aliens, are like uh, the depiction of something that is not human. Um, one of our books that's just come out, The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt, features a race of aliens who are called liars. They are, they are little octopus-like people. Uh, and when humanity first met them, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're from the system over there. We'll save you. We're, everything's great. And they went, oh, great. So what do you want? Oh, we just want a planet. So they, they gave them a planet. And then a few months later, some more of these aliens rocked up and went, hi, we are from blah, 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 and we do this, and claim to have no knowledge of what these other people who are from their species are turned up by. And they're liars. They just turn up and they lie. And you can't take anything they say, they say literally. They will just creatively twist everything. And they're gorgeous and weird and creepy and funny. Uh, and I, and I, I like stuff like that, I like anything that is not normal. Why would we just want more people? Like, we've already got too many bloody people. However, I don't know how many billion we're up to now. It's interesting, because then it sort of triples over into this other side, which is maybe not quite science fiction, but you yourself are a writer, and you not only do you read goodness knows how many books in this genre, I imagine, imagine you, yeah, you dabble a bit in it yourself. Yeah, I saw it ineptly and incompetently and unprofessionally. Yeah, I'm not trying to be professional. I'm, I'm, I'm very much an amateur writer. So how is it then, as someone who is constantly being just submerged by this much stuff, mm. then suddenly turning and having a blank page in front of you? It doesn't say blank for long. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's, it's made me it's made me less confident about anything that I write <laughs> in, in terms of its value. Um, so it's just made you more insecure? No, 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 no. It's, it's not made me insecure. I, I don't write for anyone else anyway. Um, it's made me less likely to try and get it published um, because I read so many... We have so many books that are just amazing and I read so many books that even if they don't get published, they're still, oh, gosh, that's very good. Uh, and I find it hard to, to place anything that I've written in the same terms, they don't, they don't feel like they occupy the same sphere. But still, they don't stop you. And, and, and I suppose now would be a good point to talk about what kind of stuff do you find yourself writing about or, or in? Is it going down that space fantasy uh, alien universe grand scale tapestry on a wall? No, that's really big and hard to write. You're going to have it. I think that's if you need a plan. Um, well, you often need a plan. Uh, they talk about two different kinds of writers, sort of planners and pantsers. Well, the second one is a, is a terrible term. I think, I think two reasons. One, it sounds just pants. And it also it sounds more like panzer, which is a kind of tank from the war. You just kind of, like, stride boldly well, in the direction of a story and then see where you end up. He's bumbling into, into an alley and hope you don't get stabbed. Um, that's how I see writing. Um, I, I, I think that if you can figure out how to plan a novel, I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. And you can see it in some people's writing. They've clearly got a, a view of how it should work, uh, and that allows you to just fill in the blanks, um, which I, I admire and I find I'm very impressed by and a little bit freaked out by. And yet, so the thing is, though, like you were saying, you're freaked out by these people who can bring out a story like that. I know you've just completed, is it NaNoWriMo? Mm -hmm. Now, I usually get this wrong. Is it National Novel Writing Month? Yes. Ah, I got it right. I mean, it's incorrect in lots of ways because the aim is to write 50,000 words as the minimum. That's, that's not a novel. So that's awkward. Um, that's a, that's like that's, that's definitely into novella length. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is the third year I've done NaNoWriMo. What did you write this year? Uh, oh fuck, that was only a few days ago, uh, and already my mind is blanking. I wrote a story that I called uh, After the Dark, which is ominous, isn't it? Oh, it's very good. Boding. Yeah, I know. So it's about they mornings. It's very good. It's over. So it's um, about morning sunrise. Yeah, it is, and about them never coming. Um, no, it's. Uh, so in order to, in order, my preparation for NaNoWriMo is, is not planning. Um, 
it's, it's waiting for some kind of idea to, to stick in my head enough that I want to write it, uh, or at least have something to start going with. And the idea I had was, what if there were these, what if people used trees to somehow heal themselves? So that could mean anything. It could be like aspirin. Um, but that wasn't the bit that I liked. Uh, I liked the idea that people would be buried under trees and the trees would somehow heal them or rejuvenate them. What, dead people or... Sure. Both, whatever. You, you bury it, it'll turn into a thing. Um, but that's all I really had going in, so I decided to make... Um, I need a title, so you invent a title. So a title popped into my head uh, while swimming, I guess. That's when a lot of things arrive. Like, after the dark, sounds boding. Could mean anything. Could be any kind of story. Who knows? <laughs> How convenient. Where is this going to go? I don't know, and yeah, I'm yeah. writing it. Exactly. Well, I, I like that part. I like that process. So I did. So I did that. Then I got. I made myself a cover. So I did that, and then wrote a very short blurb to um, give myself some idea of what it was going to be. I think I said it was a science, a science fantasy, existential science fantasy adventure about uh, lost loves. Lives and worlds. The thing is, I love the way you're, you're you're searching your head to try and figure out what that means. Like, what were yeah. the words? It, does it, did it not end up like that? No, it? no, no. It did. It did. And I think I got into trouble with it partway through um, because I'd been, even with that incredible level of vagueness, too specific. Uh, so, so in my head, it had, it had locked certain things in place, um, which then tripped me up because I had I had some idea where I was going, and that just screws me over every time, um, especially. When I had one night, when I, because I, I ended up writing really late at night because it was busy, Nottingham Comedy Festival for the first week, right, which that, just, that just a... fucked me because I wasn't getting home to write until like half eleven, wow. and then I needed to do a couple of thousand words. But by that point, I had to be taking sleeping tablets so that I'll go to sleep later. So I'd taken those and had some whiskey because how can one take sleeping tablets without whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> what would be the point? <laughs> um, but I was still writing, uh, and I think it was day five or six. Uh, I'd written stuff, went to bed, la la la, lovely, ready to post the next day on, on Tinternet. Uh, then woke up the next day and read last night's chapter so that I could write the next one. So I went, oh, fuck, I've killed them all. <laughs> 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 oh, yes, oh, my cast is dead. Oh, oh, I, I now need to find a way out of that. Hmm. So yeah, it then took a, a little while to write my way out of that. It seems very similar because another thing I know about you is that you do improv, ah. which is very much in one of those. Again, you 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 make it up as you go along, really. Mm, and big part of that. Mm. Yeah, is that something that you actively try to find in 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 the way that you approach that writing, or is it? Uh, some... It's a it's a default setting when you don't know or feel how to how feel that you can plan something. Um, but I think it can be fundamentally the same thing. I think it's I think improvisation for writing is certainly the way of getting a good first draft. Uh, it's likely it will need to have all the crap hammered out of it. Uh, I think, I guess, from my most recent anorama, that I take out about a third. <laughs> Once you've got that big, terrifying chunk of words, that's when the real work, as it were, can begin, where you kind of, sure. you go, what's this? Oh, my, oh, that needs to go, or, oh, I've killed them all. No, select all, delete. <laughs> uh, you know, it's easily done. Um, yeah, so I wrote, I don't know, bit, nearly 69,000 words, I think. Uh, I haven't reread most of it, because I, I, po I post it every day. I do my writing and post it, otherwise I won't bother. Um, so I, didn't, I just do a quick spell check and then do you I, recommend it as a writing process works for me I like it I mean I haven't gone back and edited it and I, I, I'm unlikely to find the time uh, I like the idea of doing it I think, I think I enjoy the process of creation more than I do what could be done with it um, 
because I, my mum and a couple of our friends read it as it goes, like Eddie and Benedetta read it, and that's nice as it goes along. And they go, yeah, it's great. Um, or, and tell me other sweet lies that encourage me to keep going. Um, and then I'll like stick it in an ebook, which you, you can download the ebook from, from captainbigheart.com if you want to. If you want to put yourself through the suffering of reading uh, an entirely unedited, babble ridden story. And, you know, and then that'll, for me, that'll probably do for that story. I like the idea that I could come back to it one day and edit it. Do you want to introduce, who, who, who's Captain Pigheart? Uh, captain Pigheart is, is, he's a lovely, sweet and sensitive pirate captain um, who, who has a crew of beloved um, crew. <laughs> yeah, crew of crew. Of crew. He, I'm sorry, crew he has crew. a crew of crew. He, he does. He has, a, he has a crew of crew, and there are, there are, there are many of them. They are, they are various and diverse. Uh, at least one of them dies in every story. Um, he's had two ships: the good ship Lollipop and the Grim Bastard. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I can't remember if he's actually got either of them now. Uh, but yeah, he he was a, a character who emerged. I guess it must be about seven years ago. And I dreamt the first story entirely and then woke up and wrote it. Go into that. So you, you, what, what happened in the dream and what was it like writing it down? Because my experience of telling people about dreams is like, yeah, I was in like a hotel and all of my people from work were there. And then Donald Trump came in. He was very upset That's about something. Horrible dream. I felt dreadful. And it's sort of like not a story in a very, very clear way. Yeah, I think that's fair for dreams generally. A lot of them are just gibberish, aren't they? Um, when I was a teenager, I used to keep a dream diary, uh, and that's a, that's a weird thing to do to yourself um, because as you record your dreams, you're more... You, know, you, remember, you write down initially whatever fragments of them you remember, like you remember walking into a room, there was a forest, a plant, and purple. And then, you know, because you've, you slowly train your brain to remember them when you wake up, and so you remember more and more, so you get a more coherent story. But I found that gets that got very intense and alarming, and I was remembering three or four dreams from the night before, and so not really, not really sleeping, I guess, because you're, you're you're too aware of the dream at the time. I guess it's, it must be close to lucid dreaming, which I've done a little bit of, which is where you're in control, and you can stop and restart dreams and change what happens. But I found that very uh, affecting and didn't didn't do me any good at all. And they all inevitably turn violent <laughs> and bloody and horrible and stressful and dramatic. Uh, it was a very odd thing. Um, so I got used to remembering all of dreams and, and I've used them occasionally to write a story from. Sometimes you can write it straight and other times it, it gets a bit weird and you have to take, take bits of the dream away and turn it into a story. I've written a few stories that were straight out of dreams. Uh, I don't know. I can't really remember them. Um, okay, that's why you write them down so they're out of the way. Uh, there's only one about... Um, a horrible series of murders. Um, but it was one of those odd dreams where you're all the characters in it, so you're switching perspective constantly. Well, I was switching perspective, I say you. It's not wasn't you, it was me. Um, so I was both I, so I was both investigating the murder and being like some people on the sidelines of the murder and the people who were murdered. And it was all a little bit overwhelming. Because um, that sounds very interesting. Did you find that you, it was almost like I know. This, so this is it. You're saying it was it was horrible. Did you find that was it just something like the physical drain of not sleeping properly, or did you feel like you were tapping I, into something that you weren't quite happy to be tapping into? I think partly. I think it's, it's more they turned violent was probably like a bad sign. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's not good. Um, yeah, I, I've done some of it in therapy later in sort of CBT to sort of go through some of it and there was some counselling. Um, not so much the dreams, there's other bad shit which all gets capital letters uh, that I'm sure the dreams were somehow related to. Uh, and it was a useful, um, very useful to have a record of like your teenage 
years, both like the dreams and you know, the pathetic drivel that you write about your emotions. So I'm so sad today because I'm 15 and nobody understands me. Well, they, they do. They just don't care <laughs> <laughs> because you're 15. <laughs> Why would they? Uh, and it's 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 quite handy to have, have some of that stuff. So kids, if you're if you if you think you're having a rough time. Keep notes of these things, and then when you're in counselling in your 20s, you can fix yourself up a treat because <laughs> uh, you can look back on your younger self and go, ha, what a wanker. You talk, you're saying it in a very flippant way. You're saying, like, oh, this guy when I was a teenager, his stupid dreams. But do you find that you're kind of spur of the moment, top of your, taking things off of your top of your head, all the cliches about mm. making things up as you go along? If you look at that broad swathe of all the things you've written over however long. Do you find that it's sort of you taking things, mushing oh, them? Oh, and... They feel like things that were me. Uh, I guess they don't. Uh, I often read stuff that I've written and don't really recognise it. I find it, I, I find it much harder to, to reach back and imagine that I'm the person that wrote it. I might be able to recognise the words and go, oh yeah, like, I, can, I can imagine that I came with some of those words. But I find it harder to imagine being the person who produced it. Do you find him that 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 person used to be a bit alien? A little bit. Um, I think it's always hard to look back on your uh, on earlier iterations of yourself because clearly we change constantly. And although uh, physically now we all are atoms of change, all our cells are rewritten. We are uh, a continuity of sparking electricity in the brains, which is reinvented every time we remember something. So we don't even remember our, our memories aren't real. They're just the last time we remembered that memory. So we're already down to memories that are a hundred or a thousand times removed from what actually happened. So our entire past is a lie. And that's why having a, a, a written document is so different. You can't remember what it was to feel how you felt when you were 15. But you can see the words that you wrote when you were 15 and try and infer from that how you felt. And then see if you are able to... Uh, have that have your emotion triggered by what you're writing and see if you feel the same way about it and whether you do or not does that mean that you're still the same person I don't know it, I, I find all that very conflicting and confusing I I, I, I kind of like the, the the view that you're not actually the same person that you were before really do you feel because mm. I, I too have felt that feeling of like like I think at a certain point when I was a teenager I'd just be like right I'm 18 now Everything before now is dead. Like he, he was a different person who is now dead, buried, and I get to not carry all of that baggage with me. Yeah, I think I, I think that makes sense. I mean, when I was, I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I was abused by someone who, who was quite a close friend of the family, and it was very, it's very confusing. Which is why a lot of the stuff in the dream diaries and a lot of the stuff is is sort of, is I guess my teenage brain trying to resolve some of that stuff and try and come to terms with it. Um, by writing both the creative stuff that sort of springs from the bleeding hole in your head where your brain should be and like trying to represent some part of how I felt at the time. And that's stuff that was very useful for counselling, in part because you look at it and go, I can't, I, can't, I can't imagine allowing that to happen now. Now you just fucking stab someone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. Because <laughs> hey, you, you wouldn't go. Oh yeah. I guess. Oh, I guess I should trust you because you're an adult and stuff. Uh huh. Uh huh. No. You just should throw them under a fucking bus. Um, you would. You'd actively hunt them down in the world and make sure they were dead. And it, it's. It's. I think the bit that's hard to leap back to is that is to leap back into that state of vulnerability and immaturity where you know where you don't have any power. It's easy to forget that as a child you didn't have any power at all. And it's one of the weird things about growing up is that you acquire the ability to have power, but you don't necessarily recognise that you've done it. You have the ability to say no to things, 
once you're an adult that you never had an option for when you were a kid from what you want for breakfast up to, you know, where you live and what you do for work. Uh, who you choose to pay, who you choose to get your electricity and gas from. Whoa, power in the modern world. But these things, these things that are completely denied to you as a child and even as a teenager through most of it. And I, I find that very hard to look back on because we want to take, I feel I would want to take responsibility for my actions throughout my life. But the person that I was when I was 14, 15, 16 isn't me. I, I, I can't take responsibility for what, what they did or what happened to them. That's not my fault and it's not my... I don't think it's my burden to bear. I can't change what happened and I can't take action and I can't, I can't unpick it and figure out how it felt for them or, or justify what happened. My conclusion is some people are just evil and should be burnt from the face of the earth, including our past selves. Yes, I, I, I second that one. God, uh, younger Richard was absolute waste of space. But, yeah, he's come a long way. Yes, oh, remarkably so. You ah. don't even know, man. But you were talking there about how you were, there was that creative dealing with writing thing when you were younger. Was the interest in sci-fi there when you were younger? Oh, yeah. Did, was there a point where you were sort of like going through life like, oh, this is a bit boring, and then all of a sudden you found that first thing that made you be like, oh. Hmm, that's probably about five for science fiction. I think the first, the first thing, I, I think I remember two things. Like, the first is seeing... Star Wars through the banisters when it was on TV and my, my parents watching it on their, what must have been a, a tiny, almost bubble-shaped television by you know, the 90, oh, it should be like 1982 or three, I guess. I remember watching between the banisters a bit where Luke gets twatted off the cliff by a Tusken Raider. Ah, <laughs> oh, and that was like, it was both terrifying and also like, what the fuck is this? I, all I've really done is I've been to school and I've watched kids' TV. Is this real? Who, who knows? What is it? It's on television. But I think we're, we can kids have a sense of what is fiction, whether it's, you know, uh, the faraway tree, Postman Pat or the Bible. We know it's all bollocks. And so seeing Star Wars was this, this is clearly bollocks because that's not real, but, my God, it's fascinating. This is like a good view of the world. But there was always science fiction on the shelves. My parents were both, both read like Asimov and Clark, and I remember there's one of uh, Larry Niven's books, title which I cannot remember that was always on the shelf and it had this really beautiful evocative cover with this sort of alien in blues greens and reds I think I read it eventually when I was about 25 I was like oh this isn't very good but the cover was great and it, and it was always yeah this is the book that I'll read when I'm, I'm an adult and I'm into science fiction uh, but yeah science fiction was like an in from day one so in that case as you know we've talked about how not the easiest um experience to go through was science fiction with you at that point as well was it something that you mm. that has because you've talked a lot about how you don't want to recognize that person oh, but no, then instantly you went you mm. went before then to this guy watching star wars now i know it's going to date the podcast but a couple of days ago the eighth star wars film it's episode eight oh, yes, yeah because yeah, 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 you, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got four Four, four, five, and six. You know what? No, you got I'm three. Not, no. You got stop, three stop, stop. shit I'm not, things. I'm not going down the road of what number of sci-fi ah, film is. It's important. But this is it. <laughs> from a very early age to literally now. It's phenomenal, but it's great to be alive in a time when they're making new Star Wars films. Jesus Christ! Especially having gone through the crap of, you know, the nineties and eighty thousands. Like those, those abysmal pieces of shit. That just ruined everything. Well, they didn't ruin anything because they didn't damage the originals. But you know, that, that's the other thing. That's the other thing about it. So people get upset when they go, "Oh, the Star Wars was ruined by episodes one, two, and three. Kind of, um, but they didn't change the original films. That was, they were still there. You can just ignore them. 
Which is the complete opposite of what you were talking yeah, about. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it's, no, people are constantly contradictory, aren't they? We are. We're, we're living contradictions because we, we, we feel like we've got memory and, and continuity, but we plainly don't because our bodies and our minds are not the same. We, we, we are ourselves an idea of continuity that whenever we look at it on a physical or biological level, we know is not true. Which is a great excuse to exclude particular films from particular franchises. I'm using it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's amazing to be in a time when they're making new, fantastic Star Wars films. Yeah, The Last Jedi might might be my... It's certainly my current favourite. I, I haven't seen it. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> well, no, this is it. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, but coming from this man sitting in this room with uh-huh. saying, listen, I, I, I know some people have seen Star Wars, but I watch this... I read this much science fiction. Is it really that good? I think it's really very good, yeah. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of people who are upset about it who don't like it, but they don't really matter. Um, because uh, all all taste is, is subjective, so uh, I guess being on a podcast, I can say it with some form of authority that what I think matters more right now. Uh, yeah, I think Les said is a very good film okay. for me. It bumps it up so, to okay, but... it bumps up with Empire and Rogue One as being just superb because because the, the best the best Star Wars I think generally is Star Wars Rebels. The TV show that was the Star Wars that I've waited since I was a five year old for. Really? Yeah. yeah. A proper, proper okay. continuous so, story. The thing is, there'll be a lot of people listening. I hope they'll be thinking. I don't oh, know, I know that. that. I know what Star Wars is. What Star Wars Rebels? Uh, Star Wars Rebels is the animated show that Disney produced uh, that comes after the Clone Wars cartoons, which are eh, okay, um, which follow on from the prequels that we don't speak of. Uh, and Star Wars Rebels is. It's, we're going to have the second half of season four next year, which will be the final season, and that will bring us right up to just before Rogue One, I think, or possibly Rogue One itself, because you see the spaceship from Star Wars Rebels in Rogue One in the fight over the planet. Ah, it's it's like it's it's sort of confirmed. I mean, it's canon anyway because it's Disney now and, they, and it's all together. But yeah, they confirmed that they are part. They're part of the story in Rogue One, and that's that's just amazing. I feel like the fact that it survived this giant cull is testament to how worthy it is as storytelling. Yeah. Because obviously there's there's a lot of interesting fact which has been put under the umbrella of Star Wars Legends. Well, yeah, and some of it reasonably, I think. I mean, you probably don't want Splinter in the mind's eye being in canon, do you? I don't know, but I am aware of the, the Christmas special. Ah, that's cracking. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Literally uh, the only man who's ever said that. <laughs> it's hilarious. I, it, 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 is, it is, I think, objectively speaking, no worse than Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, got strong, it's got stronger characterization, more entertainment and a plot. Yeah, but it also has like a, <laughs> a very strange cooking segment. Sure. Well, we can... That's... And softcore pornography. All right. In A New Hope and maybe an Empire, a brother kisses his sister. That's why Splinter in a Mind's Eye is fun, because that was written between uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, along with uh, Han Solo at Star's End. Two novels where no one knew where the Star Wars story was going because no one had written it, which is why, you know... Luke... Especially the man who said he had written it. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it doesn't have Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers in it, so it already changed a little bit from his <laughs> original conception. Uh, yeah, Splinter in a Mind's Eye is... I, 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 I'm going to slur it horribly, but I believe, uh, if I recall correctly, Leia and, and Luke get it on. Oh, oh, yeah. So that could be one of sort of Luke's or Leia's repressed 
memories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't we don't know a lot about Luke's life. Um, no wonder he's on that that mountain at the end of the seventh film or eighth oh. film, being so grumpy. Off the coast of Ireland. Mm. Um, this is an interesting segue. What what for you is the difference between good sci-fi or good speculative fiction or good fantastical fiction mm. and not good? I mean, some of it's going to be in the quality of the writing. Uh, in in whatever. Form it shows that there's a lot of good schlocky stuff out there. You know, you, you can you can have a good B movie, uh, which is not necessarily brilliant and doesn't necessarily break any new ground. Pacific Rim, very divisive film. I fucking love it. Um, Pacific Rim is giant giant mechas with people piloting them in ridiculous ways where you have to sync up the two hemispheres of two people's brains so you can pilot the left and right side of the mech, <laughs> which is marvelously insane. Uh, fighting giant fuck off monsters that come through some dimensional rift. It's wonderful. Oh, it's such an enjoyable film experience. So the thing is, though, you're telling me there that it, it's, it's both good and bad at the same time. It's, yeah, it's, so it's, is there it's really... got schlocky... It's got, it's got poor characterization, uh, ill-thought-out uh, consequences technology or how any of it works, uh, and none of it really hangs together. But it's all thrown at you in such a joyously creative and delightful way that it survives all of that. It even survives whatever his fish mouth guy is from uh, Torchwood, who's in it as a as a scientist. I'm trying to understand because you're saying like, yeah, there's robots. They were punching each other. Great times, but there was something bad about it that didn't satisfy something. Uh, what, what's an no. example of something that would satisfy that that <sighs> biggerness? And you're not allowed to say Star Wars because if we spoil what? it, not only will I be unhappy. Okay, so, so the end of the Last Jedi. <laughs> Basically, the end, of the, la the end of the Last Jedi where Leia and Luke get in. Oh on. my goodness, we'd all been waiting for that. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to make a note here. Love conquers all. Don't start a podcast with incest. Okay, but do end it with incest. Is that what you're saying? It, you're, I think what you're saying throughout is it has its place in a narrative. Yeah. It's not necessarily right. Up front. Yes. All right, I like that. Um, um, but yeah, so like, what's an example of that sort of? You know, it hasn't got necessarily robots fighting, but it does satisfy that sort of greatness. Battlestar Galactica, the TV show, is possibly the best science fiction we've ever had on television. The, the new one, not the not the original shiny toaster head. And I th and I think I've, I I very much like long form television storytelling uh, that we've got in the modern age that we've had for I don't know what the last 10, 15 years where you're getting vast story arcs explained and explored. I think that they have the space and the room to do character development, to explore a world and to have consequences. And I really like to see all of those things together. It's something that's hard to achieve in the, sh in the relatively short fiction that is a film. It's very hard to see your world building set up and do your characters and have stuff happen, which is why Star Wars is now great because you've got seven previous films, plus Rogue One, plus Star Wars Rebels, plus a legion of fiction around it you don't have to do the telephone anymore. You don't have to go, right, so, so there are these space wizards, right? <laughs> space wizards, and, and it's, it's in the past, and there's spaceships, and you don't have to do any of that anymore. You just, you just have a bunch of guys in white uniforms, and you go, ooh, they're the bad guys, because they're wearing white. That's convenient. They've shot a load of innocent people. I don't like them. Moving on. Although, yeah, it's only in the last few films where we've actually seen the Empire doing that, isn't it? They're not, they're not good people. Pretty really bad. Mm. No, but anyway, but no, we're not, we're, not, we're not falling down the Star Wars hole again. Oh, um, but you were talking there about how... Um, <laughs> They explore these vast worlds yeah, and the consequences of mm. those things. Yeah, what would be a book that would maybe uh, be a good example of that kind of stuff? Proper expansive SF. I think again, The Wrong Stars has that, and it's a really nice. It's it's a really nice feel because you've got the whole universe. You've got some galactic threat to humanity. I think that's something that I really like in my fiction. Uh, there's your there's your big bad. It's something that's going to kill the universe. Uh, and it's something that I very much liked in the fiction of people like Peter F. Hamilton 
uh, and Neil Asher. Sorry, I'm thinking of thinking of the. So I don't know any of, of these people. Uh, Unfortunately, I am I'm what they call an idiot. Um, uh, so, what's an example of some of the stories that you're talking about? Then, um, like, what's the actual story? Oh, like, I don't want you to say it's oh. about life, love, and loss. Well, everything is, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so the Peter F. Hamilton book. Ah, oh, there, there are loads of them, and they're massive ones. They're the big, you know, giant chip butty-sized book. Or a brick, as they also call that. That's the that's the, the kind of thing that you could use as a weapon, not just as a hardback. Any good piece of fiction is a weapon, um, <laughs> both both politically and physically. You know, I like that. Actually. That actually works as like I'm going to put that a picture of you with any any work of fiction is a weapon. You don't see me bludgeoning someone with a hardback <laughs> brick. Ah, oh, die, die, die. Uh, yeah, that works. Um, so the Peter of Hamilton books that I really like. There's as a duology. Um, one of them is called Judas Unchained, the other one has a, another title because it's a different book and that's how books work. They'll do that. Um, and it, it, is, it is a far future society in which we've found a way to jump, jump through huge chunks of space uh, and we are evolving as a people, we are finding ways to download our brains and so to evolve outside the need for, uh, a, for physical continuity in a, in a lump of meat, uh, which is exciting because once we can live outside the realms of our pitiful hundred year lifestyle, then we, we need to meet all kinds of problems like, well, do we keep having children? Do, what do we do with our memories? Can we, can we maintain continuity of ourselves for more than this 100-year lifespan that we have as a sort of max? I'm finding it difficult at 39 to maintain the continuity of my lifetime. We've already talked about how we yeah. try and cut off the past mm. selves. Yeah, but we're not going to do that when we transcend, are we? When we become transhuman and, and we, we are able to technologically enhance ourselves, one of the first things that we're going to do is extend our lifespan. Oh, we've already done that. Yeah, well, we have. We've spent the last couple hundred years trying to do that in different ways through food and through drugs and through just washing. It has been quite easy. To say, through, the, through the very unglamorous world of hygiene. The application of soap. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that's been very useful. But we'll, we'll go further. But we don't really know if we, if we, how we'll handle having... 200, 300, 1,000 years of memories. Because from a sense that I'm getting that, you know, when it comes to these stories that we're talking about, you're focusing on some of these really interesting elements that you can imagine almost yourself in that world. Mm. You're not necessarily saying, this book, it's great, it's got this kid who goes through this and he's like yeah, this, but he I, feels I, this. I, I, Do you I, not I, go I, for that? Um... I like the world. I'm, I'm much, I must admit, I'm less immediately concerned by the characters. And if I think about books and I think about stories, I think about the world it's set in, not necessarily. And this features Bob, who's a lovely captain. Um, those things are very important. And if you don't have them, the story won't work. But the things that I remember is, are the world, and I remember the bad things that happen in the stories, which is probably a horribly damning thing about my well, own yeah. psyche. It seems that a thing that you look for in fiction is sort of... Enormous consequences and villain, villainy. I want everyone to die, yeah. Uh, I, Which yeah. is exactly what happens when you were writing your story. It's true, it's true. I, I do. I, I like the, what, what greater threat is there? The threat of death. Uh, and the threat of death, not just for an individual, but for a species. Uh, and as someone who doesn't have children, um, I guess I'm, I'm not that interested in my physical continuity through a smaller, less complete version of myself. Um, so you don't want to pass on your genes, you want no. to pass on your entirety. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, just clone myself with brain intact and, and persist throughout all time. I think that would be great for the human race. I think, I, think, I think other people over time will learn that why that's a great idea. So I, I want to see what humanity can become, not what it currently is. Because humanity in its current state is a shit show of beauty and absolute horror. But when we go out into the, into the greater world and the universe, we have an opportunity to 
learn new things and change ourselves. So you, there are a couple of different views here. One of them is the sort of Star Trek view, where humanity becomes this tedious, homogenous whole, where race doesn't matter because humans are all just humans now. We all just do the same thing. Uh, they've changed that a little bit in Discovery, which ace as well. But previously, humanity is just, we are humans. We all do things the same way. Sure, some of us are different colours, but we're just humans together, which seems like absolute bollocks to me. <laughs> the second that we can get off-world, we will split off into tiny little colonies where we take all of our own individual religious, cultural, physical craziness. We go, you know, we're going to have a whole planet of mental people over here who think that, you know, God wants you to do things all the time. And they will be absolutely fine. It will lead to wars later. But they can go and do that really intensely somewhere, and people who don't want to do that can go somewhere else. So we will get to spread and evolve and develop our own different kinds of craziness. Because you were talking there about how you like the idea that the universe is so big that you can go around and do... You can be who you want to be, do what you want to do, even if you're describing it as crazy and mental, the world is big enough to hold that. Yeah, yeah, it certainly should be. Sure, you'll annihilate whole biospheres with the, with, the, with the pursuit of your religious beliefs, but hey, the universe is infinite. You can do that lots. Speaking of destroying someone's delicate biology, mm. I, for the people at home who can't see you, I've been. I, you are a very eccentric man, and I've been you trying said to. You've said that, and I, I find that distressing. I don't know. I think, like many kids in the mid 90s, we just started growing our hair long, uh, and, and that, that seemed to sort of do the trick. That, that was enough to get you um, as a fucking greb uh, in, in Burton on Trent, where I grew up. Um, it's a lovely town full of Marmite and beer. Uh, and, it sounds delightful. <laughs> and, and some morons. Um, <laughs> I, I have a moustache and a beard because I really detest shaving uh, so much. It fucks my skin up and, I, and it makes me really angry. I don't have a cravat. That's, that's my bar for eccentric. <laughs> I, I don't have a cravat. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, science fiction is so vast. Uh, yeah, the cravat is the line. <laughs> yeah, no, no, in the future, no one will wear cravats. <laughs> it, it'll just be a zip that goes around your throat. <laughs> mm. Something that I'm very aware of is that, especially if we bring it very locally, we're in Nottingham at the minute, which... Hoorah. Yeah, it, it's an amazing place, but it feels like it has no... Not only no respect from other cities, but it feels like sometimes it doesn't have self-respect. Mm. That there are these interesting people and extraordinary things happening here. Yeah. How would you describe the kind of success that, that you've had, that Angry Robots had? Because I don't think people realise how successful they can be here in Nottingham. There's no reason to, I mean, there's no reason to go anywhere else. It's in, in, a very, um, in a very bleak way. Everywhere is exactly the same as everywhere else. So, so although you may <laughs> look to, like, to, to the, the bright lights of Birmingham, or Hull, as, as you know, as cultural centres, or, or even, God forbid, the arsehole of the South London. All the things that are in those places are in everywhere else, maybe to a smaller degree, but there are still the people who have gone to London, will have come from somewhere else, and in order to do that thing. All of these creative things are already everywhere. They're not well advertised, they're hard to find, and people don't realise there are other people who do the same things that they do in the same place. And it's not until someone sticks their head up a little bit on and goes, oh, I'm doing this thing, would anyone like to do it with me, um, that people join in. I think the thing that people forget to do is to put their hand up in the air to begin with. Uh, and I think you can put your hand up in the air anywhere. I was about to ask you, what is the piece of advice that you would give people either looking for a way into the sci-fi fantasy world of publishing and getting their stuff out there, or just generally people who are creative Types trying to get their stuff out there. I think. I think. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm going to stick with put your hand up in the air. I think. I think people do. Um, 
a lot of people do far more interesting things than me. Oh my God, and are so much, I'm pouring so much more creative fuel into the world generally, and have, especially on the internet where I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to play on Twitter. <laughs> Fuck no. Um, oh, there's some great people doing great things on Twitter. I, I, it's just this stream of stuff going past, and I'm like, oh, I, I would like to chat with some mate in a pub about this idea, uh, rather than share my opinion with millions who don't care about me. Um, but if you put your stuff out there, someone will see it, and if you try and make friends in the genre, people will do stuff. Uh, for science fiction fancy, it's got to be going to cons, it's got to be reviewing books, go and meet people. Um, Lots of people get into writing from writing fan fiction or reviewing, and they go, they meet the people who do the stuff. They then write the stuff because that's what they love. And they then, and then by that point, they know the people they need to talk to to a certain extent, or at least a way into it. They've got a better, a better step up, I guess. It might be in that respect an easier thing to be part of the community generally. You know, it's going to be going to be a triangle, isn't it? I guess science fiction fantasy community with. I guess authors at the top, um, with the sort of publishing people as, as a as a slight as a, as a it's almost a thinner layer. Well, I, don't I suppose know. that if it's sci-fi, it it's in space, which means there is no up. That's true. So is it just doing stuff and doing it with other people? Uh, I think I think so. I, I don't. You should never do something for someone else, which sounds like, that's a terrible thing to say. Uh, you should of course do things for other people because that that's good. That's community things. But the reason you do anything should be because you want to do it ultimately and fundamentally. If you want to share it with people, that's great. Uh, I, personally, I don't write for other people, really. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I, I write because I enjoy writing and I, I enjoy the process of doing it. I enjoy just going, there's a thing. If you like it, great. If you don't, if you're not one of those three people, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> but fuck you, but you'll never know it even exists anyway. You've been listening to My Kind of Weird. If you'd like to help me shine some light on the creative community in Nottingham, consider supporting me on patreon.com. For a tiny donation each month, not only can you treat the artists of the city like stars, but also give a free podcast to the good people of Nottingham. For $5 a month, you can get access to cheeky little extras, including outtakes, extra content, and possibly much more to come. I've been Richard Minkley, my guest was Nick Tyler, and our theme song is Puzzle Pieces by Lee Rosevere. Thank you for listening. <laughs>